We're going to look at two passages today that are tied together. We're going to camp mostly on the Old Testament, the, the one in Exodus 17. Um, but let's read these two together. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. From the Old Testament, Exodus 17, 1-7. Now all the congregation of the people Israel, of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand there before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, Masa means testing and Merabah means quarreling. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the same cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all ate, uh, drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Here ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. This two-week uh, series that I'm doing is uh, Forgiveness in Christ. I know it's not a real original title. Uh, in fact, I lifted it out of the Scriptures. Uh, it really comes from Ephesians 4.32, where Paul says... Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Because forgiveness of our sins and our forgiving others is so central to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I love that reflection from, um, uh, forget his name. Um, Sinclair. Sinclair Ferguson. I put that in there and I forgot his name already. Thank you. Uh, his book, The Whole Christ. Uh, it's kind of been a, a, a recent journey for me to, to understand what the gospel is, by the way. This is just a quick aside. Um, we talk about the gospel a lot. We, we talk about um, the gospel message, or we live by the gospel. Uh, we even have coalitions around the gospel. But too often, we don't really explain what the gospel is. And sometimes we, we just have to kind of fill in the blanks. We use it almost as a shortcut, which is sometimes good in, in our circles as Christians. But we tend to forget what that means. And is it just a declaration of faith? Is it just what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, of what was of first importance that he gave to us, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and rose again according to the Scriptures and appeared to others? Or is it what Paul says in a little bit differently in the book of Romans, Romans 1, who talks about the gospel of God and 
his son Jesus Christ. Not just his resurrection, but he points to the fact that he was raised by the Spirit of God and that this gospel, this good news, is what the gospel means, brings us to salvation. So it's been kind of a thing where I'm trying to boil this down. What is the gospel? What can I say in just a very simple way? What the gospel is. And I've run across that from Sinclair Ferguson and and since then others who have pointed that out. Tim Keller points it out. Um, Robert Haldane, uh, back in the, I think, the early 1600s, a great commentary on Romans, or or 1700s, um, he says the same thing. When all said and done, the gospel is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And so we want to know what God has done for us. We look at the work of Jesus Christ. And we often look to his work in the New Testament, but today I want to look at something he does in the Old Testament. It's not something that, that is just pointed to as an example of what Christ will do. This is something Christ actually did. And Paul makes that bold statement in 1 Corinthians uh, 10. He says that the rock that followed them, the rock was Christ. So in this short series this week, we're going to look, or the next two weeks, we're going to look at two events, two series of events that the Old Testament uses to show us the gospel. What what and what the essence of the gospel, what forgiveness means. And that's what I want to camp on, because forgiveness is that tangible aspect of the gospel. We know we've been called as God's people. We've been gathered together in, uh, as sons and daughters of his. Uh, we are no longer under a condemnation. But we have a daily experience of that in the forgiveness that he pours out to us and the forgiveness he asks us to give others. So this week we're going to look at the great forgiveness that he's given us, and next week the great forgiveness he's given us to give others. Today we're going to look at Israel's encounter with God at a place called Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling. Actually, we're going to look at two places which are called uh, Meribah, uh, which means uh, quarreling. And where Israel turned completely against God, but God in his mercy forgave them. In doing so, we hope to see, I hope for us to see, how great a forgiveness we have in Christ and how that helps us to have confidence in God's plan for our lives and for his church of the confidence that comes from seeing what God has done and is doing for us in Christ. So now, back to um, our passage um, in in Exodus 17. We've said Paul has made this this amazing statement that this rock was Christ. He calls it a spiritual rock. And it's a spiritual rock because it was a rock, we understand that that God did a a great miracle by his spirit and gave them uh, water. But he makes his connection between rock in the wilderness and Christ and says it was Christ himself who accompanied them, saved them, nourished them, and brought them through to the promised land. Now this isn't fanciful conjecture. This isn't just Paul saying, it's, you know, this is an example of what Christ will do. He actually says this was Christ. And, and this is not something that's new in the scriptures. In fact, Jesus himself, in several places in the, in the scriptures, in, in his life, he points to that fact that the Old Testament doesn't just point to him, they spoke of him. Remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, where he talks to the disciples, and he opened their eyes to show them what all the scriptures said concerning himself. And remember their reaction was, they said, uh, after he left, he said, were not our hearts burning within us as we walked in the road, and he opened the scriptures to us? There was something special about seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Because remember, what, this, what were the scriptures for the, the New Testament believers? The people actually who were reading um, the Paul's letter. 
to the Corinthians. What was the what were the scriptures to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? It was the Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament. Paul is writing what we consider the New Testament. So for them, when Christ talks about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And he says, I came not to, to abolish the law. He's talking about not just the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the, the, the whole of the Old Testament. He says, I came to fulfill them. He says, and he, and he also says something bold at one point when he's talking to the, uh, the, the Pharisees in John 8, another great passage to, to look at sometime. He makes a statement that when he's talking about who he was, he said, before Abraham was, I am. An amazing statement. He doesn't say he was like the father. He says he was the one that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And, and even before the burning bush, even before he spoke to Abraham, it's what he's saying, he says, I am. He always has been. So we're now going to look at a, an episode where we see the second person of the Trinity, the, the, the eternal Son of God, at work. Let's look at uh, Exodus 17. Let's um, <clears throat> set it up for a moment. This is a, a, just a great scene. I'm, I'm going to set it up by looking at a couple of the passages um, in, in Exodus. This has been about 45 days uh, now since they left the Promised Land, since God had, had gone through it. It's up to a year that he, he spent uh, delivering the plagues on Egypt, uh, delivering the message through Moses to, to, to Pharaoh to let his people go. Of course, Pharaoh uh, and the, the people do not let them go. Pharaoh is recalcitrant. He will not let them go. Uh, so God brings judgment against not just Pharaoh, but for the gods of Egypt. Um, brings all these ten plagues against the ten, the, the ten great gods of Egypt. And in, in doing so, provides deliverance to the people. Brings them out of the land of, of Egypt. Brings them across the Red Sea. This great miracle of parting the waters with the, the rod of God. And, and crushes their enemies um, uh, in, in the waters. And right that scene, right before they go across, we see this kind of first instance of the people complaining to God. There's an escalation. This is what I want you to see. So when we get to our passage, when we hear about the people quarreling against God, there's something special going on. There's something different than, than has happened before. And another quick aside, I'd love to, you know, sorry, I kind of go on these little sidetracks, but this is something I, I, I love to, to know, and, I, and so I, I kind of like, like to pass on to you guys. When you're reading the Old Testament, it helps to see the patterns of the Old Testament, especially in the narratives and the, and the stories that we're seeing. So I want to go back and look at, at three different of these stories that are very similar because what we see in the, in the changes from one story to the next, there's very similar events that happen, but it's the changes that often tell us the, the, the main message, and that's the case here. It actually helps set, uh, it set up. So the first instance of the people complaining against God is in Exodus 14. Now, again, I have them in your passage here, where they, uh, they had left uh, uh, Egypt, they'd left Moses, uh, they'd left their, their homes, and, they get, and it says, the, Egypt, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped by the sea, by, by Pi-Hahiroth, in front of Baal-Zaphon. By the way, the 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 Alzaphon, that's um, the the uh, Baal, the Lord, the mountain one. 
Baal Zephon, we pronounce it, Baal Zephon. It's at the, the very mountain of Baal where they felt, thought that the Baal, the, the god of thunder, the, the, the god of, of the storm, uh, lived. And God is setting this great scene up in one final judgment against their great god, Baal Zephon, or Baal of, of, the, of the mountain. <clears throat> when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? They've already seen the Lord's hand in these great miracles, these great ten miracles, uh, these judgments against e- Egypt, and yet they still wonder, is, the God, is God really good? They're really calling God's goodness and planning into question. Well, it doesn't stop there. They got, it, you know the story, God tells Moses to take, to take the rod and, and, and hold it out and the waters will part. And the people cross over the Red Sea, through the, or sorry, through, uh, on the dry land through the Red Sea. And they get to the other side and, 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 and safely, and Moses lifts the, the rod and the, the waters come crashing down as the, uh, under the chariots of, of, and, the, and, the, and the, um, the leading soldiers of, of uh, Pharaoh um, and as they've been uh, pursuing the Israelites. Uh, I don't know why they would have when the water's part. I would have stopped right there at the water's edge. But they were bound and determined. That was their job to go through. And they, and, and, and they were crushed. They were drowned. All the horses and the chariots. And it was a great, great scene of judgment against Pharaoh and against the false god Baal, Zephon. It showed the people of Egypt that their god meant nothing, that the true god was um, Elohim, uh, Yahweh, the, the Lord of Israel. After seeing this, we're just a, a, a few weeks later, uh, a short time later, in Exodus 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. I'm sorry, three days in the wilderness they found no water. Three days now it's been. And when they came to Marah, which means bitter, they, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So now you see a bit of an escalation. It's no longer they just cried out, and they no longer just said to Moses. They grumbled. It got that sense of murmuring. They're really mad now. Well, of course, we don't have time to go through this, but God uh, does another miracle in their sight and turns the bitter water, it was, it was toxic water, not just bitter, but toxic, and turns it clean and gives them fresh water. But it, we're not over yet. In Exodus 16, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. By the way, it's not the wilderness they sinned in. It was just a, a, a term. And I, um, my goodness, I've forgotten what it, it means. Oh, it's the, the moon god, Sin. Um, the god of the moon. Uh, it was named, not they didn't name it that, but that's what it was known locally as. And... Uh, which is between Elements and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So, month and a half now, a uh, month and a half-ish, less than two months uh, since they left Egypt. Now they're, they're pretty much at the foot of Sinai. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the, to the full. For you have brought us out of this wilderness to, so for 
you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Of course, I hope you know the story. That's where manna comes from. God rains bread from heaven. And it filled their, their, filled their, 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 their bodies, gave them nourishment. And he did this daily without stop other than on the Sabbath. They were to gather the, the day before the Sabbath enough to carry them through the Sabbath. And he did this for the 40 years of their, their being in the wilderness. But here we have another great miracle that, that God has done for the people. You would think at this point that the people would have caught on that God was going to take care of them. <clears throat> but I guess I can't really blame them. It's easy to criticize them. But how much do we see God's working in our lives day after day after day? We, we'll, we'll do prayers here. We'll see God answering these, these prayers in wonderful ways. In ways that we don't expect. Ways that we may not want, but we know that that's for the, that person's best and for our best. And yet something will happen. Something we won't get what we think we need for life. Something will happen in our jobs or our lives with COVID or, or our families and our, our, a relationship with someone else. And we'll complain. We'll, we'll grumble. We, we're, we're, we, it, we, we, we doubt God's goodness. We may not do it overtly, like the people did here, but we do it inwardly. And often we do it just by not approaching God, by just trying to solve the problem on our own. The people here try to solve the problem on their own. They're actually calling God's goodness into question. And here's the difference when we get to our passage. If you look at the passage again, in uh, verse 2, it says... Well, let, let me read the, our passage again from the beginning. So the congregation of the people moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and came to Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Another problem. They no longer see it as a challenge or, or a, 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 um, an occasion for them to go to the Lord and just ask or an occasion to trust in the Lord, which is really every occasion that the Lord gives us in life is an opportunity to trust in Him. They look at it as a, as a problem to be solved by them or someone else for them. So there's no water for them to drink. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. The word quarreled is different. They start off with, they, they, they spoke to Moses, said to Moses, then they, then they grumbled against him. This word is loaded. It's a word that means indict, indicted. It's a legal term that is used in the Old Testament in other places of, of a lawsuit. They're fed up with God. It's like they're saying, we don't trust God. In fact, we're mad at God. No, I'm sorry. They're mad at Moses. They're not mad at God at this point. They're, they're calling Moses' goodness into account. They're calling Moses' leadership into account. This is a no-confidence vote that they're asking for. In a sense, they're even, we assume, they're... they're, they're they're saying that they would rather have another leader, and they couch it in, in, in different terms. They say, um, <clears throat> Moses, well, Moses points it out to, the, to them. He, he, he actually uses that word back. He tells them what they're doing. He says, why do you quarrel with me? He knew what they were doing. They, were, they were wanted to, to, to kind of bring a lawsuit against him. They wanted God's judgment on Moses. In fact, we're going to see something amazing here. And Moses 
uh, Moses, sorry, he said, um, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And he, he said that because he was the Lord's representative. So he knew that they were putting, you know, they were kind of casting aspersions on the Lord because he was the one that called Moses. You can imagine what Moses is thinking. I didn't ask for this. They, you know, th- this is something God gave me. What do the people say? Notice that when he says, why do you test the Lord? Notice the people's response? It's kind of a non-response, isn't it? He challenges them. He puts it back on them. He says, you're the ones that are, that are, that are at fault here. <clears throat> but the people thirsted there for water. The people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to... Sorry, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us? And our children and our livestock with thirst? Do you see what they're charging Moses with? They're charging Moses with attempted murder. Oh, they're convinced that they're going to die. And it might be some hyperbole here, but, but that's what they're saying. They're really accusing him of, of bringing them to die. No, Moses knows what this means. Moses knows what they're, they're, that... that that his life is in danger. And he goes to the Lord and he says, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. You can see there must have been a mob. It must have been, it must have been like, like some of the, the things we've seen over the last few years of, of the, the riots and all. The people were just so upset that they, 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 there was no reason with these people. And, and stoning in that culture was the death penalty. It, it, and that's what he's saying. It's not just they're ready to kill me. It's they're ready to stone me. They've Pronounce me guilty. <clears throat> and, 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 and they considered that I am guilty of treason against the Lord. But it wasn't just Moses that's, that's guilty here in the people's eyes. They're not just indicting Moses. They're indicting the Lord himself. Remember what Moses asked the people says, why do you test the Lord? He's pointing out to them that it's not Moses they're putting on trial, it's the Lord they're putting on trial. It's the Lord that they're accusing of bringing them out to be murdered, to die in the wilderness. They're calling the Lord's goodness into question. They're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And they're calling God into account. So what does God do? He answers their, their request for a judgment scene. He answers their request for a courtroom. And he tells Moses, as the leader of the people, he says, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Right here, he sets up a courtroom scene. Uh, God sets up this, this great scene that, that we're not sure if Moses kind of relayed this to the people in, in, in terms of, of words, because we don't have every word that was spoken, but he sure, certainly does in the, in the way of a, a scene. Moses takes the rod of God. Now, the rod of God was the rod of God's judgment. When he picked that up, something bad was going to happen. It was the rod of God's judgment against Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And remember, he struck the Nile and it turned to, to blood. It was the rod that he held out. Yes, it was the rod of deliverance for the people. It was the rod of judgment against Pharaoh and his, his, uh, 
his soldiers. It's the rod that God talks about later in the, in the Old Testament uh, where it's, he talks about his rod of, of justice. It's the, the rod of Moses. He takes that rod. So, so something, somebody's going to die is what it means. And he says, take the people, the leaders of the people of Israel. So now the leaders of the people are the representatives of the people and they, according to the scene, as being set up, are going to bear the people's judgment. They were apparently the ones that brought this, the, the, the complaint to Moses. Not just the, the, the grumbling, but the, the, the legal complaint. And they are now liable for God's punishment. They, they've, they've done the ultimate sin. They've called God evil and evil good. Kind of reads like something from the New Testament. Some doesn't it seem this this whole passage kind of read like the Book of Romans, even though they knew God, they did not worship Him. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. No one did good, not even one. They turned after their own way. This has more relation to the book the Book of Romans than you might think, because what happens here? The people are liable for judgment, just as in the book of Romans, we're all under the wrath of God. And that there's and, and all are guilty and deserving of God's punishment. But look what happens. He says, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Something amazing happens. There, now, by the way, God says he's going to stand on the rock. Well, we'll read the rest of this real quick. And, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come forth. How does God stand on the rock, and why would he stand on the rock? Well, their understanding of God, they, they didn't see God face to face. Only Moses really met God face to face, and even he didn't see, he at least didn't see the Father in his glory. But God gave them something to, to show them the way, to show his presence with them in the wilderness. And that was his that we call the theophanic glory cloud, the, the, the great cloud, the cloud that led them uh, by day in the pillar of cloud, and by night it became a pillar of fire. It was a cloud that when they camped, it spread out over them and gave them shade and, and allowed them to last um, in the wilderness for those 40 years. Um, but it, it was not just the, 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 a, a cloud that God used. They understood it to mean the very presence of God. Later in the Old Testament, several places, Isaiah is one of them, Ezekiel, the, the, those, both of those prophets talk about the cloud as the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was different, uh, different they had a different understanding of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, uh, uh, not a, as full understanding as we do. We know it's the person, the third person, the Trinity. They understood the Spirit of God to be his dwelling place, the place where God lived. Well, in the, that's New Testament the same way. God lives through us in his spirit. He makes it possible for, for Christ to dwell in us. But back then, it, this, this cloud was the spirit of God, the dwelling place of God. So when God says, I will stand before the rock, most likely he, that, that, that cloud that had led them by day and, and pillar fire by night to, to light the, the camp for them and, and protect them from the, 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 the people around them or the, 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 the animals and the, and the um, uh, enemies around them. That cloud came and stood either before in front of the rock or immediately on this great big rock. 
And he says to Moses, take and strike the rock. So what does Moses do? He strikes through the cloud, through this great this pillar of, of cloud, or it's on the rock. It can be read either way, before you, uh, before you on the rock, or it means before you standing right before the rock or on the rock. Either way, it was identified with the rock. And he strikes, as he strikes the rock, he's literally striking God. God is taking the punishment for their sins. And the waters flow forth. Again, the, the difference in this passage and the others are remarkable. It's it's that that, that people have been deserving of penalty all the way through. God provide has provided for them. It wasn't enough. It, nothing was enough for God to 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 permanently secure his presence among the people there had to be something greater because they would never stop complaining they would never stop sinning so he makes this great declaration that he was going to take their sin the punishment the death penalty for them <clears throat> and the Moses and the Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel name is is rightfully called at that point quarreling and and um and testing, because it was always a reminder that they tested. By the way, that word test isn't just they put God to the test, like see what he would do. That was another legal term. It still had that same sense of calling his goodness into question, calling him evil uh, and his plans evil. It's a, it's a legal term. So, so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, this rock the, the waters they drank from this rock, the food they ate, the spiritual food, was Christ. He meant it literally. It was not just the cloud of glory. By the way, it was the angel of the Lord. Um, I, sorry, I, I didn't write um, or put in here uh, the, 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 the passage where um, they're, they're crossing the Red Sea, but Moses, God tells Moses that to the 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 cloud will move in front of them. That the cloud that was behind them, or no, I said the cloud that was in front of them will move behind them, and protect them. And he says the angel of the Lord, which he promised that his angel, his his representative would be with them, not just Moses, but his his angel would be with them. It says he moved as well, and we know from the Old Testament or from the New Testament that the angel of the Lord is the second person of the Trinity. It is the pre-incarnate Jesus. His name wasn't Jesus at that point. He was just the Son of God. Um, he was the one that, that we see in several places in, in the scriptures, um, uh, in, in Ezekiel's glory cloud. Um, so Ezekiel, um, for, for, um, Zechariah, in, in Zechariah, uh, he sees the, uh, the Son of Man uh, in, in this great, great glory uh, appearance one like the Son of Man, burning bright. Um, we see, or Jesus has told us, that he was the one that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Um, the angel of the Lord uh, was the one that wrestled with, with Jacob. We understand that to be the second son of the Trinity. See, no one has ever seen God at any time, the New Testament says. But it says the Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That's how we solve this problem of how Moses could have seen God, but the New Testament says no one has seen God. 
seen the father anyway. No one's seen the father anytime. It's because because God showed himself glimpses of himself in the Old Testament in the form of his beloved son. And it was that son who was the protector. Of, oh, by the way, I'm, I want to read this to you. Um, this is this is um, from the uh, ESV Study Bible, the ESV, Reformation Study Bible. If you ever need a, a study Bible, need another study Bible, and you don't have this one, this is a great one. This is like a who's who of, of Reformed writers and, and scholars uh, did this one. And they all have a, a real heart for seeing Christ in the Old Testament. <clears throat> but they comment on, on this in... Uh, this First Corinthians ten, where he says, uh, where Paul says, um, uh, the rock was Christ. They say the analogy between the Israelites and the Corinthians is not an arbitrary uh, illustration. There is a theological connection. Paul reminds us that the deliverer of the Israelites was none other than our crucified and risen Savior. So. In a real sense, he made it secure for the people of Israel to be able to continue the rest of their journey. Remember, they're going to still fail. They're still going to murmur against God. They're still going to sin. They're still going to have problems. They're they're not going to get away from the consequences of the sin, but they're no longer going to be in in danger of the death penalty of God completely stopping the the plan where he could have there. And he kind of comes close to doing um, shortly after this. But I, I believe that this is the moment that secures their entrance into the promised land, that God has promised that he will be the one to bear their sins ultimately. But it's not just their sins that he's looking forward to. It's our sins. This is a great picture of Christ, what he does for us on the cross. The rock was Christ. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of this situation. This is one of those things. This is the gospel. This is the same kind of language he uses later in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, where he says uh, these things are of first importance. He, this is something that's of first importance. They need to understand that their only Savior is Jesus Christ, but he has always been at work saving his people, and that we need to understand and see that from the Old Testament to be able to appreciate what we have in him in the New Testament. And by the way, this story doesn't end here. Yes, the people drank from water, drank uh, uh, the, the water from God, the, the great miracle. That it was a sign of God's, God's provision for them that the penalty had been paid and they no longer had to fear the judgment of God. Forty years later, we have again the same scene. Remember, we said that the, 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 we, the Old Testament loves, Moses particularly, loves to teach by way of these, these scenes, and he, he, he shapes in the same way. I'm not saying they they're, didn't happen, they're actually true, but the way they're written, they're, the language is very much the same. It's kind of a re- repetition. And so we want to look at, it's in your passage here. Um, oh, I, I'm sorry, I did forget. Um, John 7, 37 to 39, um, where J- Jesus points to this event where the water comes forth, um, and, and, and there's, there's other events in the life of Israel with, with water, but it all comes down to this. In the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And we, we read in our, is it the call to worship, um, or was it the uh, uh, confession? 
where, where Jesus said, come, come to me um, and, and eat. He, um, um, he who eats of me and drinks of me will never hunger and never thirst. Jesus pointing that he is the one that provides the spiritual nourishment, but he identifies himself with these Old Testament situations. He is saying, that was me. That was, that was I that gave them the food. They actually ate of me and drank of, of me. So we get to Numbers now, Numbers 20, and we see the same situation again. And I'll, I'm not going to talk much about this, but just one, one, one thing here, that what is different. Let's read this. There was no water for the community. By 40 years later, right, they haven't gone to the promised land. They're now at the foot, again, of the promised land. The last time they're at the, in a sense, the foot of Sinai, where again they get the law. Now they're about ready to go into the promised land. And there was no water, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled. There it is again. They quarreled with Moses and, and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. That was uh, one of the previous situations where uh, God's judgment befell the people, but they still were allowed to go to the promised land. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? And why did you bring us out of, out of Egypt to this terrible place? It is no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Forgetting what the Lord has done. The Lord has been providing manna for 40 years. 40 years he's shown that he is faithful. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't pomegranates. It, 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 it wasn't the milk and honey that they desired. They're out in the wilderness. They're convinced they're going to die. <clears throat> and the people... Oh, so Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. Here we go again. It's another courtroom scene, right? And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother gather the assembly together. Another courtroom scene, or so it appears. But something different. He says, Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. That's in the, um, uh, the NIV says, Speak to the rock. Um, uh, the, the ESV that you may be reading uh, says, uh, talk to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and the livestock will, shall live. Now this rod of judgment is a rod of mercy. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's looking forward to the cross where the cross is great instrument of, of, of Roman justice and turns into the great instrument of God's justice. It's now become an instrument of God's mercy. We gather at the foot of the cross, so to speak. We gather with, with Jesus. We're, we're called to, to, to the foot of the cross now as a reminder that, it, that, that the, the water flows, that the living water flows from, from the, 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 the rod of God's judgment. The, the nourishment that we need, the, the daily life that we need, the Holy Spirit that we need comes out of that judgment. It's no longer a place of, that we worry about or, or dread. It's a place of joy for us. As odd as that sounds, that we glory in the cross of Christ. No longer do we have to fear God's judgment. But what does Moses do? Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and gathered, Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock a second time. 
I'm going to read it that way, with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and livestock drank. Moses does something. Here's the again, here's something different. Instead of taking the rod and striking through the cloud, God has said, no, you take the rod and you hold it up in front of the people. It is now a sign of God's pleasure with them, God's mercy with them. And this ultimate sign of mercy is the water will come out even though the people are grumbling. This is, it's a sign for us as well. Is no longer are we liable for God's judgment. Our sins have been forgiven. When we sin, we go to God knowing that our sins ultimately have been forgiven. We are no longer liable for the punishment. And we ask for his mercy. We have wronged him. We haven't stopped wronging him. It's, no, it's not a license. And Paul's going to get into this in 1 Corinthians later. There's no time for this today. We may cover it some other time. But Paul warns the people, don't take this for granted, this great, this great salvation for granted, this great mercy for granted. You, we still have to, to, to suffer the effects of our sin, whether it's, it's uh, selfishness or uh, idolatry or, um, or immorality. The, these things do affect us. Just, but we don't live in fe- and sometimes we have to, to, to deal with the consequences of sins. We don't live in fear of that. There's no, nothing that stops us from going back to God. No matter how great our sin is, how, how a minor sin, how, how often we've done, if we sin the same time over and over and over again in the same day, we still can come to Him and speak to the rock. We come to Christ and God's mercy flows. He forgives us our sins. John in, in 1 John says uh, that he alludes to this and says that if we confess our sins, God is gracious and willing to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. That water is not just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with you. It's, it's nourishment. God moves us forward when we sin. That's why we, we really should be coming to him on a daily basis. We should be drinking of the water of Christ because it's drinking of the water of the Spirit. We, when we, we, we repent, God is gracious, willing to forgive us our sins, but he moves us forward. We, we're not just left at zero. He gives us his life, the life of Christ in us, and, and, and he encourages us to, to, to correct what that was. I, I've been going through a lot in the, this last year of, of seeing how really selfish person I am. I really not, tried not to, to dwell on that. I'd like to, to not think of myself a whole lot. But I've been asking the Lord to uh, work on my heart, and frankly, he, he answered that question by, by I've been reading through um, daily devotions uh, in the Proverbs uh, by Tim Keller, and it is surgery. It, it's just like every time that, that brings up one of the Proverbs is, well, that's, that's me. But what's something amazing has happened, that as I've seen my shortcomings, my sin, the way I, I treat others, the way I, I'm, I'm irritable towards people, um, my family, I never thought it was. I thought I was just speaking the truth in love. But no, it was irritation. I realized what a fool I've been. Literally, the, the proverb says, the, the fool shows his irritation at once. The prudent ones overlook an offense. I thought, oh my goodness, my family's been living with a fool for 20, 30 years. But instead of, of it dragging me down, I've been amazed at how, as I've, I've talk to them about this and, and confess it and they've been great gracious to say oh dad it's not been that bad I know it's been bad in the past but they've forgiven me God has forgiven and, we, and, and things I believe have gotten better in our family but but I've noticed that in the way I treat others and it's it's amazing to me because now 
I, I want to see these things. What else is, is going wrong with me? What else do I need to, to learn from? How else can things change? And that's what, why we need to come to order. And this is why it was such a bad thing for Moses to strike that rock this time. Because he was saying, you are deserving of God's punishment. The first time that, that, that God paid for your sins wasn't enough. That's what he's saying to the people in this great scene. They didn't hear him. Not everybody heard him speaking, but they certainly saw the the rod strike again. And we finish up with that in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land and give them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. They needed the second situation, the second occurrence. God allowed their grumbling, their lawsuit, to show them something absolutely amazing. How great this forgiveness was. It wasn't just a one-time forgiveness. It was a forgiveness for all time. All they had to do was come and and drink of that forgiveness, to, to absorb that forgiveness, to live in that forgiveness. And Moses called that into question. He called God's holiness into question, God's promises into question, God's character into question. Moses wasn't probably thinking of this. Moses was just mad after 40 years of irritation by these people doing the same thing over and over again. You always can't blame him, right? But he had a responsibility as God's people. I mean, it says God's leader. He had a responsibility as one that God had put in a position of leadership, ultimate leadership for the people to not misrepresent God, to do what God said, not to add to his word, not to do something different, not to treat the people different than God wanted to do. Notice he got mad at the people. He didn't have a right to get mad at the people because God had not, was not mad at the people. God was walking them with open arms. He was just saying, come, come. We have no right ourselves to call God's goodness into question, to 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 not forgive ourselves when God has forgiven us. What I mean by forgive ourselves, we hold on to sins. We say, this, it, my sin is too great for God to have forgiven. But that's not your call. God has said you are forgiven. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Well, it's not our job to withhold forgiveness to others or to, to load something on other people to say, you deserve punishment for that when we know we should be telling them to go to God and, and ask His forgiveness. It's not our job to punish them. If punishment is to be had, it's God's to be done, and it's to be done for those who don't come to, to Christ. And that's the ultimate punishment. But until then, it's our job to come to Him, to encourage others to come to Him, and not lay the punishment on people. And that's why Moses, by the way, was not allowed in the Promised Land. And by the way, I mentioned the, the word twice, uh, the, word, the word the second time in your but a lot of the Bibles, it still says the word twice. That, that word can mean twice, but also can mean again the second time. It was a, 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 a loan word uh, from another language that um, created a lot of confusion for the early English translators. Um, but in the, uh, I think in the 60s, there was a, uh, some excavations they found, a tablet, and in there, that this, here was this word, and it meant a second time. And it just opened up a whole series of possibilities for, for, for our, our, our understanding. 
that now this makes sense. He didn't just strike it twice because people have all this conjecture. Well, Moses wasn't supposed to strike the, right, strike the right rock twice. He's supposed to strike it once. No, he wasn't supposed to strike it at all because that made a mockery of what God has done. It was like crucifying Christ again and subjecting him to open shame, as the book of Hebrews says. No, he wasn't supposed to strike the rock at all. What shall we then say to these things? Paul asks in, in the book of Hebrew, uh, of, of uh, I'm sorry, the book of Ro- Romans. Remember he said this kind of reads like Romans, doesn't it though? The people were against God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creatures rather than the creator. They, they turned against him. They'd gone their own way. Yet, while they were his enemies, Christ died for them. God paid their penalty. While they were sinners, Christ died for them. Romans 5. In Romans 8, God, Paul says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also wish with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son... Oh, sorry. There it is. Um, and that's what, what I want you to live with, uh, leave with today. That this forgiveness is so great, it's greater than just a one-time forgiveness. It's a forgiveness for all times. It's a forgiveness for all things. It's forgiveness for all Christians. It's forgiveness that's offered for all people. And it's that forgiveness that we represent as leaders, as, as individuals, as family members. Our job is not to hold this over people or hold it over ourselves. It's just to call people to, is, is to, to, to listen to the words of Jesus where he says, come to me and drink. Come to me, all you are thirsty. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you so this, for the so great a salvation. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son and not withholding anything back from us, that you've given us all things in Christ. You've given us your Spirit um, that, so that we have life with you constantly, that Christ resides in us by means of the Spirit and resides in your church by means of the Spirit. Thank you that you've done something greater than, than the Israelites could ever imagine, that you were created a, a not just a people for yourself and a, a place for them to live, but you've combined those, that we are... We, we live in you and you live in us. You are God and we are your people. Um, and that we are a, a forgiven people that are called to, to show your gospel, the good news, through that forgiveness, through accepting your forgiveness, through providing your forgiveness to others, through telling others about this great salvation, forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and the newness of life that we all uh, share and is offered to us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.